that is our goal here on the Weekly Boost. Welcome to the show. I am Paul Sandberg, the founder of Boost Health and your host. Now, if you've been listening to the show, you know each week we will be discussing a new topic and covering the entire spectrum of wellness concepts, including fitness training and inspiration, nutrition, biohacks, wellness products, and more. And my philosophy with this show and with Boost Health is to be open-minded and try new things. These preconceived notions that we have shouldn't get in the way of some wellness strategies that could be a real difference maker for us. Have you ever tried a new wellness concept that took you by surprise and how well it worked? Those are the strategies that we're trying to uncover here. Very quickly, I just wanted to thank everyone for listening to the show. Also, thank you for telling a friend about the show that really helps get Boost out on the map. Um, You can also support the show by visiting the website at myboosthealth.com. At the bottom of the homepage, there's an Amazon banner. And uh, basically, if you go out and do your shopping through that Amazon batter banner, um, I'll get a kickback. And so everybody will win. You'll get your shopping done. I'll get a little kickback from Amazon. Uh, and that helps support this show. So really appreciate that. Also, it would be really great if you could subscribe, rate, and review the show in iTunes. That really helps a lot with program awareness. All right. Now on with the program. This episode is titled Listening to your body. I did not hear you. Sometimes I don't listen to my body. Sometimes I push through pain that I shouldn't push through to get that one last rep done in the weight room or finish that last mile on a run. Sometimes I finish a big workout and don't save time for cool down and stretching and consequently have tight back and calves and shoulders and hamstrings and glutes and everywhere. Sometimes I wake up at 4.15 in the morning for a workout and feel like I need more sleep, but I get up anyway and go get it done. Okay, well, every time I wake up that early, I feel like I need more sleep. But seriously, there probably are times, such as after only five hours of sleep, for example, where I really should consider getting more sleep instead of pounding pavement or pumping iron. Does this sound familiar to anybody? I've come across numerous type A personalities, like myself, that sort of get addicted to working out and and really the schedule of the day becomes an addiction. My morning routine is mapped out to the minute and uh, any deviation from this causes me stress. Just ask my wife and kids. Luckily, there are tools available to us now in this high-tech era that we exist in that can help us quantify if we are rested and ready for action or if we need to take it easy. Now, the art is in actually paying attention to these data and resting or taking the intensity down if necessary. I will cover those tools shortly, but first I wanted to share a story. Learning from mistakes. I was on this uh, business trip a few years ago. It involved a long day of travel across the U.S., and the destination was Florida. It was summertime, and I was actually really excited to get checked into the hotel and then go out for an early evening jog and maybe even catch uh, the sunset going down over the ocean. Uh, After checking in, I wanted to go down to the gym um, for a warm-up before I went out for the run. I was feeling kind of tight in my hips and hamstrings after traveling all day. I usually work from a standing workstation, so being forced to sit in cars and buses, planes, and trains all day long is pretty brutal. 
Uh, recognizing the tightness, I did some foam rolling and some smashing in those areas. Now, I should say I actually gave up foam rolling and smashing about a year ago and feel improvement. And I'll cover that in an upcoming episode. But back then, uh, when I was on this trip, I was, I was still using that method. After I did the foam rolling and smashing, I did my usual dynamic warm-up. Uh, leg swings, burpees, heels to butt, jumping jacks. I actually have a link to the dynamic warm-up video in the show notes in the blog if you want to check it out. So this all sounds like pretty good rep for a little run, right? So then I started out on this easy zone two four-mile jog. I, I figured I would go out towards the coast for two miles and then just turn around and head back to the hotel, get four miles in, nothing big, nothing major. And so I had this easy jog in mind and I headed out towards the sunset. Unfortunately, about one mile in, I started to notice tightness in my right hamstring. This wasn't the sort of crampy lockup feeling. This was the annoying, pinchy, pressure, steady, every step a little bit worse, tightening up kind of feeling. Those of you who have had this know exactly what I'm talking about. So I knew it wasn't feeling right, but I also knew I still had three miles to go. I had been trapped in a seated position traveling all day. I had beautiful weather. I had a sunset. I had a voice in my head saying that it's nothing. <laughs> and most dangerous of all, I had the will to push through the pain. Now, don't get me wrong. Pushing through pain and discomfort is what all humans must do to force the body to adapt and improve. Knowing what the key difference is between pain from high-level exertion and pain from an injury is the key. And I knew better. So why did I keep going? Well, <laughs> I'm afraid I don't have a good answer. So I hobbled through the rest of this run, and I had a very sore, very strained hamstring for several days. Now, wondering what caused an injury can make you go crazy. Questions and self-doubt popped into my head, such as, Am I not training my hamstrings enough? Are there more dynamic hamstring exercises I could be doing that would have prevented this? Should I have warmed up more since I was feeling tight? Did I foam roll or smash too much before the run? Should I have just bagged the run when I noticed I was tight after traveling? Well, the acute pain faded a few days later. And I picked up the training like nothing had happened. <laughs> the hamstring was still barking quite a bit during strenuous activity, though, especially on runs. I did my best to ignore it and hoped it would magically heal soon. And with a heavy dosage of foam rolling and smashing and strength training, I attacked it. And I was hoping some magic would happen. After no magic happened, I went and saw a physical therapist in November. This was four months after the injury had occurred. It seemed like the therapist did a good job with the body work. I think there's something to be said about having a professional do proper body work techniques versus trying to do body work uh, you know, at home with, you, with your own roller. A massage therapy has been shown to improve pain, but there is conflicting evidence on that, and it seems that the therapy would have to be continuous for it to, to work. Uh, I'll link to this study in the show notes um, on the National Institutes of Health. One thing is clear, there needs to be more research done on massage therapy before really anything definitive can be said. The therapist 
had me do general strength training movements, such as plyometric box jumps and squat variations and ball bridges. He would ask me if the movements bothered my injury, and I said I could feel it, but I was also able to perform quite well in the exercises. Granted, I already did similar strength training three times a week with full body, so perhaps my existing strength training and experience covered up what a therapist may normally see as a warning sign. The therapist continued to push me, and I continued to perform, but the hamstring stayed about the same. Based on my performance and a few sort of range of motions tests, uh, after about two weeks of therapy, I was released back into the wild to continue my training. I didn't feel really much better, unfortunately. I was hopeful, though, that the hypothesis that body work can improve scar tissue and cross-linking in the injured areas, I was hoping that would prove to be true, and eventually the hamstring would come around. It didn't come around. I still, to this day, have some chronic pain on that hamstring, and it's going to lead me to some professional assistance of some sort in the near future, which I will chronicle in a future episode. Uh, whether it works or not. The point is, I really didn't allow it to heal properly, and that wasn't the therapist's fault. I needed someone to tell me to shut it down. I didn't need someone to push me. I already pushed too much already. For me personally, I don't necessarily need somebody to push me. I, I needed somebody, like I said, to sort of help me shut it down. I should have told the therapist that. Or, even better, perhaps I should have just listened to my body in the first place <laughs> when I was out on that run or even prepping to go on that run. But the hamstring injury has taught me a tough lesson about listening to my body. Now, if you're a believer in the glass half full approach, then you can note that I've since done a little bit better job about paying attention to what my body is telling me. Still, there is much room for improvement. Training at a high level is an art and requires constant awareness, focus, and hardest of all, backing off on intensity when the body says to. We must allow ourselves to actually absorb the fitness. Now, thankfully, there are tools available to help with listening to our bodies and to hopefully nudge us in the proper direction. Heart rate variability, also known as HRV. One of the best tools I know of that helps us be more aware of whether or not our bodies are recovered and ready for action or need a rest day is heart rate variability, HRV. HRV as a training aid has been around for many years in the professional athlete slash clinical setting. In recent years, it's become more widely used by amateur athletes with the ability to track through these smartphone apps and Bluetooth heart rate monitors. So what is HRV? Well, fully understanding HRV and the application to sport performance really deserves its own post. So I won't delve too deep into the details here. Rather, I'll just provide the basics to get you interested and started if you're not already tracking this. And very simply, HRV is a measurement of variation in time between your heartbeats. Now, our autonomic nervous system, or ANS, is what actually controls the variation between the heartbeats and does some other mildly important things too, like controlling your breathing. <laughs> the sympathetic and parasympathetic nervous systems comprise the ANS. The sympathetic nervous system is also known as the one that preps the body for fight or flight. You've probably heard that before, intense physical activity. The parasympathetic nervous system is also known as the rest and digest system as it helps calm the body back down. 
Research has shown that when the body is in sympathetic fight or flight mode, it has low HRV. And when it is in parasympathetic rest and digest mode, it has high HRV. And as you might have guessed, having a higher HRV is good as it shows the body's ability to be resilient and change from sympathetic to parasympathetic mode. Again, we won't go too deep into the weeds on specifics, but in general terms, you can see how having a higher HRV score on a given day can actually be a good representation of whether or not you're recovered from a stressful workout from the previous day. And according to a study in the Experimental and Therapeutic Medicine Journal, HRV is one of the best tools for tracking whether or not an athlete is adapting properly to a program, if the training load is optimal, and discernment of how much stress an individual is experiencing during a training block. Now, there are numerous smartphone apps available to track HRV. Some even actually sell their own equipment to monitor it and connect it to the smartphone. I actually use the Sweetbeat app. Uh, which you can check out in the link in the show notes in the blog. And I connect that through just a simple Bluetooth heart rate monitor. And this has actually worked quite nicely, and it seems very accurate and consistent. Here's a few guidelines with HRV. First, you want to create a good baseline. You want to actually measure every day for a week or so and be consistent with how and when you measure. Number two, be consistent with how and when you measure. <laughs> yes, I know I already mentioned that, but it is so important. It's worth mentioning twice. Try to measure as soon as you can after you wake up before taking in any foods, coffee, or stress of the day. An easy trick is to just have the heart rate device and smartphone right by your bed. So before you wake up for the day, you can do your monitoring. It only takes three minutes. Three, your HRV score is your own. Don't try to compare it with others. Other companies use different calculations, so you may not even be comparing apples to apples. Three, your HRV score is your own. Don't try to compare it with others. Know your baseline numbers and monitor how well you move up or down from your baseline based on training. So if you're usually always at 85 and you're at a 90, you know your HRV score is up a little bit, showing that you've recovered well. Or if you're down at 60 and your baseline's 85, then you know you need to take a little time to recover. Four, pay attention to the data. In the spirit of this overall message, listen to your body. If you have a low HRV score compared to your baseline, then lower your workout intensity. Do active recovery or even give yourself a rest day. Word on the street is a rest day is when you don't exercise at all on that day. <laughs> Tough to do, but it is possible, I'm told. Training Peaks Training Stress Score, or TSS. The Training Stress Score is a special sauce created by the workout data geniuses over at Training Peaks. They have a special stress scores based on the activity you are doing, such as running or biking. Uh, and I'll give you a link to the full description of their different stress scores in the show notes and the blog. The basic concept is you have a picture of what that particular workout intensity was like based on real data inputs from your session. Now, the in minimum input requirement for decent accuracy is your heart rate. Setting up an account and connecting all your devices is free, so you should just check it out and see what you think. It's a very effective way to gather all your data from all your different devices and workouts and have it fed into one place. 
I like having it all feed in here and then I can easily aggregate my data from there. Sleep. I am thinking I'll probably break the internet with this one since it's such a showstopper. <laughs> but in all seriousness, please track your sleep. Whether you use a 24-7 activity tracking device that looks at sleep or just pay attention to when you hit the pillow at night and wake the next day, it's very important to know how much sleep you're getting. I've got a Garmin Phoenix 3 for my activity tracking, and it also has the option to track my total sleep and how much deep sleep and light sleep I'm getting. But I actually like to take the watch off every night and give my body a break from wearing it. The watch is pretty smart. It assumes since it can't read my heart rate and senses no movement that I've gone to sleep. And that's better than other alternatives, I suppose. <laughs> I put the watch on as soon as I get up each day, and it assumes that I have woken up as soon as it goes on. Now, this allows me to have a pretty accurate picture of my sleep hours each night, and it's automated. It all feeds right into the Garmin app. But good old paper and pencil work just as good, too, to track your sleeping hours. Seven hours is not enough. If you're like me, you barely get seven hours of sleep and also thought that when you got seven hours of sleep, that was meeting the standards. But according to an article on the Popular Science website, the director of sleep and neuroimaging lab at the University of California, Berkeley, Matthew Walker, says that we actually need a minimum of eight hours to mitigate reduction of cognitive performance. Apparently, anything less than eight hours puts us in sleep deficit mode, and it is not something that we can make up for with a couple of long rests over the weekend. I'm thinking about my early morning workouts that I start at 5.15 a.m., and then I back eight hours out of that, plus however much time it takes me to get ready for said workout, and that pretty much puts me at going to bed at the same time as my kids at night, <laughs> which maybe is not a bad idea. Putting it all together. Hopefully, I have inspired you to listen to your body a bit more if you were not already doing so. Using tools such as HRV, TSS, and sleep hours can help you listen to your body from a more quantitative perspective. I like to put all these data together and look at each week as a whole. I average seven days of sleep hours, seven days of HRV, and the total TSS for the week. I'll give you an example of this in the blog so you can see what I do. Basically, I use this weekly snapshot to track trends. I add notes to each day for qualitative input as well. And this is helpful because you get a more accurate understanding of how the body's responding, like my legs were tight or I felt really tired this day, etc. I may look at a week and see a low sleep hour average, a low HRV average, high TSS and notes saying I didn't feel strong. This would be an easy one to adjust potentially. I could increase sleep, HRV might go up, and if HRV actually trends upward, then the intensity would be able to stay the same, intensity of the workouts. But if HRV stays low, the intensity would need to be reduced. And that's just one example of a million different possibilities, of course. But the key is to keep track of the quantitative data from your devices, capture it and pair it with your qualitative information, and put it into a system that makes sense for you. Oh, and most importantly, pay attention to it and take appropriate action. As the old saying goes, if you're not assessing, you're guessing. Thank you so much for listening to the show. I'll be back next week discussing a new wellness topic. 
please visit the Boost Health website at myboosthealth.com for more motivation and information. And until next time, find your balance.